Hi everyone, I'm Gary Nall and this is the Progressive Commentary Hour. Our theme today is absolutely original and we have not discussed this before. You're going to be watching and listening to an entire panel of outstanding scientists and public health advocates discussing something that we're now finding is more common than not, and that is personality changes in those who've received the RNA experimental vaccine. Dr. Naomi Wolf, Dr. Peter Bregan, Dr. Scardi, uh, we have a whole panel. So again, this is something that they're revealing and we need to pay attention because remember when they revealed the higher incidence of myocarditis and, and other stroke and heart attack situations, and nobody paid attention. And then we started seeing all the young athletes and the top of health, soccer players, 23 years old, just dropping dead on the field in numbers we had never seen before in history. They were the canary in the coal mine. They were right. And how about the mysterious self-organizing lipid material that was forming in people's veins and arteries and blocking them, causing massive heart attacks. They warned us. And we were the first to show you the, the people, the morticians, collecting these out of people's cadavers, bodies, and not just a small amount. Remember, I had uh, this segment of the show where we had a... Uh, we had a mortician that of 600-plus bodies he had uh, embalmed, 75% had this in their system, and therefore he couldn't put embalming fluid in, preserve the body because of all this blockages. Again, canary in the coal mine. And all the children who end up getting sick, having adverse effects, including dying from the vaccine, so we're kind of ahead of the curve on all this because we're studying the literature and communication with all these individuals. So this will be an important program. Now to our program. Um, we have covered a lot of ground in the original version of the Corona Committee. Uh, we did more or less stick to Corona, however. There are more topics that need to be covered, but today we're going to extend the view into the corona pandemic a little further because thus far most people have been talking about the damage most people on our side of the fence in the resistance have been talking about the damage that has been done by the so-called vaccines, which as we all know are not vaccines. They're neither necessary, they're neither safe, nor are they even effective. But there is one aspect which um, I was alerted to by my friend Professor Sushirit Bhakti a few weeks ago when he and I gave a presentation um, in support of um, Greek healthcare workers who lost their jobs because they weren't willing to continue with this uh, mass murder, as they say correctly. Now, let me um, first read a pretty new article, just a, a, a brief part of this brand new article published by the Brownstone Institute. It's, um, uh, I think it was, it came out on October the 14th, a big picture look at the disastrous public health response to COVID-19. An underlying principle of public health is or was to provide the public with accurate information so that they can make good health choices for themselves and their community. The past three years have seen this paradigm turned on its head with the public's money being used to deceive and coerce them, forcing them to follow public health dictates. The public has funded their own incarceration and impoverishment through their taxes with public funds driving the unprecedented non-pharmaceutical and then pharmaceutical response to a virus that kills mainly old sick people near the end of their lives. Most healthy people infected with SARS-CoV-2 recover without any intervention, gaining natural immunity, which in absence of the vaccination generates a more robust and long-lasting protection with less risk for reinfections as compared to individuals protected by vaccination alone. Globally, the infection fatality rate of SARS-CoV-2 is about 0.15% and comparable to seasonal flu. 
the IFR, um, infection fatality rate, of those under 20 years was only 0.0013% and highest for those beyond 70 years. The IRF of COVID-19 among community-dwelling elderly is lower than previously reported in elderly overall. As of July 2022, WHO reported over 601 million confirmed cases and over 6.4 million deaths associated with COVID-19 globally. More than half, 3.5 million, died after the rollout of the COVID-19 vaccines, though 67.7% of the world population has received at least one vaccination. Well, we all know now that there was never any excess mortality before the start of the vaccinations. None. Even the spikes we saw in New York or in Bergamo were a result of not COVID-19, but rather intentional malpractice. We're not going to go into the details of that. So, but in the meantime, Steve Kirsch, for example, came up with a figure which is based on the, on the uh, VAERS uh, reports of uh, 1.6 million people who died after vaccination. Now, that doesn't mean that there's causation, but there's correlation. And this, this very, very high figure definitely warrants a very close look into what's been going on. Our uh, German pathologist, um, Professor Emeritus Arne Borkhardt, who did postmortems on, I believe, 90 people who died after getting the shots, found the fingerprints, this is my layman, layman speaking here, um, fingerprints of the vaccine in 90% of them, which means in 90% of them, he found absolute 100% causation. Um, the one thing that people are talking about that now that they're seeing that their neighbors, their relatives, people who are close to them are dying after getting the shots or are being seriously injured after getting the shot. The one thing that is not mentioned or thus far has not been mentioned is some people perceive personality changes. Um, my wife and I, for example, have a favorite restaurant, and for quite a while now, we've been wondering if the people who used to serve us in such an elegant and cordial and nice way seem to have become different people. Some of, who, some of them don't seem to be able to remember anything. They come, come back to the table once or twice or even three times. Um, and some of them have changed completely into docile human beings. But we thought, well, we're just imagining things. But now it turns out that maybe we're not imagining things. Um, Naomi Wolf, who was with us, and uh, Peter, Dr. Peter Bragg and Dr. Naomi Wolf, who are both with us, uh, will give us a chance to get a closer look. Naomi experienced something like this, something like what my wife and I thought we were just imagining. And uh, through the research of Professor Sushreed Bhakti, who found the physical evidence for such personality changes, we can now uh, look at the um, psychological consequences as explained by uh, Dr. Peter Bregan. Okay, before we um, go into a more detailed discussion of the vaccine, so-called vaccines inducing brain damage, uh, let me introduce a video a short 20-minute, 22-minute video uh, done by Professor Sushreed Bhakti uh, with a presentation on what we're going to discuss on how the mRNA vaccine uh, vaccines go, break through the blood-brain barrier, and induce brain damage, uh, personality changes. Um, let's watch that short 22-minute video. It's a presentation he gave in Vienna. There's a longer version of this. You'll find it on the internet. Um, another longer version with a presentation he gave in Athens. But this is the short one. Most people will be able to understand it. Now, if I am here today, it's for a very special reason. Uh, four weeks ago, I don't know where you saw the video uh, released by the WHO where they proclaimed that it was their intent to introduce mRNA vaccines for all vaccinations on Earth and then go from there to treatment of all other diseases, including cancer, etc. And you may know that uh, the first mRNA flu 
combined vaccine with corona has already been authorized. And uh, there are major attempts to introduce this new mRNA vaccine against the flu this autumn worldwide. Switzerland has joined in, Germany is joining in, Austria is joining in. Now, at that point, my wife Karina and I said, we have to travel. And we have to try to get a message through that will be heard. And I'm going to get this message through now. And I need 15 minutes, that is all. What people do not understand is that all mRNA vaccines are dangerous and are going to threaten life. It does not matter whether the vaccine uh, encodes for the spike protein, for the measles protein, for rubella, for the flu. It does not matter at all. Why? Because the whole danger of the vaccine stems from the ability of the immune system to recognize non-self. So, may we start with... Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to tell you about the danger of mRNA vaccines. And this I have done with my wife, Karina Rice, who's also here, but taking care of the little one outside. Now, this is a cell, this house. And if a cell makes a protein, then fragments of that protein, it's like sawdust when you're sawing on wood, become exposed on the outside of the cell. You have the circle, the triangle, and the rectangle. These are small fragments that appear on the cell, always. There's no way to prevent this. It's necessary. Now, these fragments are recognized by your T lymphocytes. And your T lymphocytes, ah, this one? Okay. Oh, dear. Um, the T lymphocytes all look the same in your body. It's like marbles or grains of sand, but they are not the same. They have the distinct capacity to identify the different fragments. So you've got cells that can identify the circle, the triangle, the rectangle. And if this happens, then those T lymphocytes are going to attack the cell and kill it. These are the killer lymphocytes. Now, what is the meaning of all of this? F five decades ago, the quick, big question was, how can these receptors of the T cells recognize those, those different fragments? Do the fragments instruct the hands, it's like lock and key. The fragments are the keys and the receptors of the T cells are the locks. Do the keys instruct the locks to take them up? Or do the locks just evolve during development of the fetus in the mother's womb? By chance. Because if the latter were the case, then we would have T-cells that recognize self, black, and T-cells that will recognize non-self, the reds. And this non-self is defined simply by the fact that it is not in the body of the baby. All right? And it turned out that that is what is the case. So during the fetal development, and at the end of fetal development, a mechanism is put in place so that those T-cells, those killers, that recognize self are silenced and kept silenced throughout life. That's why you're all sitting here. Otherwise, you would be suffering from autoimmune disease and your T-cells would be killing your organ cells. This does happen once in a while, but seldomly, rarely. But on the other hand, and this is the wonderful side of it, Every baby that is born has killer T lymphocytes that are ready to react against non-self when this non-self protein is produced in the body. It does not matter whether it is corona or flu or measles or you name it, you have it. And so a baby is born with a, a team directed against corona. This might be corona. And when 
baby gets infected with the first infections, corona, up jumps the team and goes into a bout of training. And during this training, the T lymphocytes, the locks get better and better. They fit better and better and better. And so the child in his next year can overcome the infection better because these T lymphocytes kill the baby's cells that are infected, and those are the lung cells, and that doesn't matter because lung cells regenerate. This is the big secret about immunity. Most of the organs in our body can regenerate, and wounds are healed. And then you have T cells that are stronger and stronger and stronger. That's why you're all sitting here, and you never get seriously ill, because you all have a background immunity that is rock solid against all these respiratory viruses that come in, all of them. And it is known that we all have these T cells. It's been published. It's all known. It's just that no one reads the literature. What I'm telling you is none of my discoveries. I'm telling you what other people have discovered. So what happens when the T cell gets activated because the coronavirus has come in? Or because the mRNA of the coronavirus has been injected into your body? Well, the T cells get activated and when they get activated, they also activate their brothers, the B cells, and the B cells start making antibodies. And these antibodies will then be found in the bloodstream of vaccinated people. Now, what people don't realize is that these antibodies, if, 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 if this is, you know, blood, the antibodies are in blood. The coronavirus doesn't come into this room, into the blood. It gets into the hall through the front door of the hotel. And the antibodies are not there. There are no protective antibodies. And anyone who tells you this is lying. The bodies, antibodies that people find, the WHO, the CDC, the FDA, you name them, you have them, all these crooks. They take the blood of the patients and say they have protect and they are protected. Of course they're not protected. And this has been known for decades. So don't let people lie to you. That's why, of course, you have all these infections coming in the vaccinated people. They can't stop the virus getting into the front door. But if the antibodies see the antigen, because that is in the blood, on the walls of the blood vessels, they will bind. And if they bind, they will mount attack via the complement system, which is the second killer system of the immune system. We have two killer systems. One are the T lymphocytes, the killer lymphocytes. The second, unknown, but even more powerful than the, than, than the killer lymphocytes is the complement system, which is the sister system to clotting. So if you activate clotting, the blood clots. If you activate complement, complement kills. Okay. Now, what is a horror scenario is that this is supposed to be a blood vessel. And you see the vessel wall in one, the inner lining of the vessel wall contacts blood. So anything that is in blood contacts the wall, right? And we know that these mRNA vaccines, all of them, are going to enter the blood in masses, in numbers that are unconceivable. You cannot imagine how many of these are going around in the body of all those poor vaccinated people children, women. And the cells that they meet most and all the time are the cells of the vessel lining. So it is inevitable that each and every mRNA vaccine packaged in these lipid nanoparticles are going to enter the wall, vessel walls, which is the tapestry, if there were a tapestry here, on the wall of this room. And then, this is number two, uh, you see there you see the uh, mRNA vaccine entering the vessel from the bloodstream. This is something that the virus can never do, you see. Number three, the, uh, the mRNA is in the cell. Number four, mRNA causes production of that protein for which it's encoded. Four and five is the attack by antibodies and by the killer lymphocytes on the vessel wall. And this is the end of the intact 
flatness of that vessel wall, wherever it is. What happens then is that you will have a trigger for clotting always, because whenever you scratch the vessel wall, you are going to be planting the seeds for clotting. And second, and this is why you, uh, what is, whoa, in shown in seven, you're going to have leakage of those very vaccines into the organs. Now you have to realize, guys, that your vessel system is the most intricate system of tunnels in existence. And that system is completely, it's, it's not possible. Um, ma large molecules and viruses can't get past that barrier. Your walls are sealed, actually. But if you go around making holes in the walls, then they get out. And then they get to the heart muscle cell and the brain cells and the liver cells and whatever cells that happen to be attacked. But because these packages are in the whole circulation, they reach all the organs of your body, everywhere. Now, this is uh, a microcast of the microvasculature of the human brain, adult. Your brain consumes 20% of the oxygen of the body. And capillaries are so wonderfully, intricately integrated within the brain material. If each capillary is feeding, I don't know how many cells, but those cells are dependent on the circulation. If a clot forms in these capillaries, if something happens to the capillaries, those cells that are being fed are going to die. Now, you know how wonderful our brain is. Nature, God, someone gave it to the human being. And each area of your brain is responsible for something else. One is responsible for recognition, for memory, for movement, for your psyche, for your for empathy, for your personality. No one really knows where what is, okay? But I can tell you, uh, dementia, Alzheimer, is associated with, uh, very often associated with microclots and micro-necrosis in the frontal brain. It's very typical. Um, but of course, <laughs> there's also an area that if you knock it out, you get jerks. Huntington disease, you know. Um, so you cannot afford to clog, or clog any single capillary in the brain. If you do this, there is going to be consequences that are irreversible because the brain, the heart is similar, by the way. The heart consumes 10% of oxygen. And the athletes, you know, I saw tennis yesterday. Uh, then the heart consumes over 80% of the oxygen and each of these capillaries in the heart is responsible for feeding myocardial tissue and if that dies it is the second organ that cannot repair the lesions it's dead for life imagine now we said over two years ago it has to be feared that these spike proteins, of course, will be appearing then on the vessel wall, and that will seed uh, the roots for thrombosis and for leakage. Can this be shown? Well, let me tell you that there's a paper now in preparation by a very, very wonderful pathologist whose name is not mentioned here, on purpose, he does not want his name mentioned. The paper is not yet published officially. What he found was something so startling and so unique that I said, I'm going to use this chance to show it to you. So what he found was, there was a man deceased after the third vaccination, uh, and uh, no one knew what he had died from. And the pathology looked at his brain and what he found was multi, listen very carefully, multifocal means at many points in the brain, many. Necrotizing means dying and dead. Encephalitis. This is 
this is something that has been reported about 10 times in the world literature following infection by the flu, influenza. But never otherwise. This case is the first case where clearly it is not the flu and it is also not corona. It is the spike protein. Okay, because he found on the endothelial cells of the capillaries. Now, Marguerite is also sitting here, Marguerite. I will say it's true. You know, capillary thrombosis is something that is not known in the brain. It doesn't happen. But here, it's the capillaries. And when they are closed, the cells die. There's no way to get out of this. No way. And what he found was that there was no nucleocapsid. This is the other virus protein that must be there if the virus were there. So it's not the virus, it's just the spike. And therefore it is caused by the vaccine, okay? There is no way to get around this. And in the brain itself, he sees neuronal death, one, microglial proliferation, that, and invading T lymphocytes, number three. So it's all documented. It is all documented. He has also looked at two hearts of patients, one who had died of acute heart attack, the other had died of aortic aneurysm, but he found the same things in the heart. And there again, he found spike proteins in the small vessels, in the smallest vessels, of the myocardium, which you see here. He saw something that has never been described in pathology textbooks. Areas, yellow, of scars. These are cells that had died some time ago because this vaccination had been repeated, the booster. So the yellow are the cells that had died and these are the scars that had formed already at death, but beside the scars, in the red part, that is the muscle, in the muscle itself, he found lesions, acute lesions, growing lesions, with lymphocytes that were obviously killing the myocytes, Z-band damage, meaning that these cells are going to die, and dead cells, that's number four, fresh, just before death. Now, I don't care whether anyone is for the vaccination or against the vaccination. I care so much that everyone knows that these data are now there. And they speak such a clear language that it is not our job to fight anyone. I never fight anyone. I'm trying to bring the two halves of our society together again. Because and I'm talking to the mainstream media, I'm talking even to the politicians, because the politicians have no idea of what they're doing. So let's not fight against them. Let's talk to them so that we all come to our senses and say, this cannot be allowed to happen. Even if the WHO said so, don't. And remember, and this is the last thing I want to say, the WHO is a private club, like a private football club, a club that is being financed, has been financed at the top by what? Bill Gates. Bill Gates is now number two. Who is the top financier? Germany. The German taxpayers are financing the WHO and enforcing mRNA vaccination because, of course, it is the German companies that are earning most and donating. Now, people, I'm completely unpolitician. But I tell you, there are so many people who are still humans who don't want this to happen, not only to themselves, but to their friends, to their family, to their children. You can't do this. You can't let your children be vaccinated because they are changing mankind. All your personality is going to be changed. Your brain is being changed. And your heart is being weakened. 
every injected mRNA vaccine is going to cause severe damage in our body and must be forbidden. Thank you. So that's the video. And now let's talk to Peter and Naomi about what is happening in reality. That's the scientific part. That's Sushirit Bhakti's scientific part. But now let's see what they think of this. All right. Let's uh, first talk to Dr. Naomi Wolf. Um, we've had um, we've had her as, as a guest on the uh, Corona Investigative Committee quite a few times, um, and we have uh, introduced her quite a few times. But still, uh, Naomi, can you briefly introduce yourself? I know you're a journalist, you're a writer, um, you're a women's lib advocate, but you're probably many more things, right? Um, thank you so much, Sure, Happy to. Uh, it's an honor to be here again, um, Dr. Fulmich, and to be with Dr. Bregan. Um, I'm CEO now of dailycloud.io, which is a news site that specializes in democracy. Um, and I'm also author of a book about the last two and a half years, uh, which makes the case that there is a war against humanity, which is increasingly commonly accepted, unfortunately. Um, and it's called The Bodies of Others, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19, and The War Against the Human. Um, and I'm not a medical doctor, of course, I'm a, my defil is in poetry, but uh, I did write a piece, which is probably why I'm here, on my substack in which I looked at um, the aspect of the mRNA injections that personally give me nightmares and, and which were the reason I personally didn't get injected long ago, and that is the, the lipid nanoparticles. And I can speak more about it, um, but I did uh, see a potential mechanism that connected the lipid nanoparticles, which crossed the blood-brain barrier, to the personality changes that um, that you described and that I, I do see and that I could uh, elaborate on more, if you like. Yes, please do that, because the article I read, I think it's a couple of weeks old or so, and it described how you, I think you were at a party and you were, you, you notice something is off, something isn't yeah. quite right. You couldn't really put your finger on it. Then afterwards, or maybe when you were still there, you kind of realized that it was, this, these are my words, that this was a lifeless situation. They were just going through the motions. Is that correct? Yeah, I would, I, I would take it a little further. I mean, you summarized it exactly correctly. I, I will just preamble this by saying I grew up in San Francisco. Um, so I... I do believe in um, and, and was curious about um, aspects of human existence that may uh, call on other, um, other disciplines than the kind of post-Enlightenment Western notion of how bodies work, but I'll get to that in a minute. Um, yeah, I was in New York and on a rooftop bar and, and just, I had this the sense that I was in a hologram, um, that I was seeing the crowd, but not feeling the crowd. And I checked that experience walking along the streets and, you know, I've lived in New York for decades and there's Manhattan is famous for the sense of a kind of a pulsating electricity of all these millions of people closely crowded together. And I couldn't feel that there was a sense of like, um, a danse macabre. You know, and 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 certainly when I've and body workers have spoken about this. You know, when I hug people I love who've been vaccinated, especially if they were recently vaccinated, there's like a missing heart connection. I mean, these are very subjective terms. You know, change in the energy field. You can barely feel them in the way that you used to. Um, but more, so then I began to think about you know electricity because we are electromagnetic beings. That's why things like EKGs and and MRIs work, um, and this gets edited, so I'll say at least EKGs. Um, and, and, you know, electricity fuels the neural synapses, electricity, you know, causes the heart to beat. I mean, you know, so many neural impulses, uh, neural impulses are electricity. So I, I was thinking about lipid nanoparticles because they're, you know, I, I've been, in a way, it's a blessing not to be a scientist and not to be a a medical doctor, because you can kind of ask questions that may seem outside the purview of how people are trained to think if they have a formal scientific education. But I, I, you know, as an investigative journalist, I looked at the websites of the manufacturers of lipid nanoparticles, and 
as I say, you know, that's why I did not get the vaccine long ago because Moderna's website boasted that this material enters or affects every cell in the body. And the first thing I thought of was the brain. And the other thing I thought of was the heart. And that I also, as a woman and a writer about women's health issues, I thought about the uterus and ovaries, you know, these delicate, delicate mechanisms that allow people to be fertile, women to be fertile, and hormones, you know. So the lipid nanoparticles are designed, and well, first of all, they're industrial fats covered in polyethylene glycol, which is a, a petroleum byproduct and a toxin. And they're designed to cross every membrane in the human body. And if you're not scared by that, you know, that one sentence, you, you know, everyone should be, because that means they're, they're designed, people have known this for a decade, to cross the blood-brain barrier. They're designed to, you know, enter that, that space. And, you know, again, as a women's health advocate and writer, uh, you know, the, uh, other important membranes, you know, the placenta is a very important boundary or barrier in the body and the lipid nanoparticles cross the placenta of course enter the fetal environment so um we also have a very gifted uh scholar analyst um physician uh, dr robert chandler on our team of 3500 medical and scientific experts um who are going through the pfizer documents uh the war room daily clout research volunteers team and they've issued 40 reports you can see them on dailycloud.io um, and that's the source of my warnings to the world about reproductive harms and other horrific harms, but specifically they reveal this kind of, and I, uh, by the way, I'm Jewish. So, and my grandmother, you know, lost nine siblings in the Holocaust. So I, I kind of feel like no one will berate me or sue me for saying these are very Mengele type experiments um, in the Pfizer documents. They are like minutely focused on human reproduction or mammalian reproduction. They're they're minutely focused on damage to um, to you know high miscarriage rates, high abortion rates, and so then back to the personality changes. Um, looking at how the lipid nanoparticles enter everywhere and thinking about nerves, um, you know, I, I asked our researchers to look at the effect of the lipid nanoparticles on neural responses, neurological responses. And I got a very detailed report from another distinguished um, professor of pathology, Dr. Uh, Chris Flowers. And he said, indeed, these lipid, nano lipid nanoparticles degrade the myelin sheath as they would, because they go through everything. They basically weaken everything. And the myelin sheath is how uh, neural impulses are transmitted. And, and when you have a degradation of the myelin sheath, you have neuro, the kinds of neurological conditions you see at scale in the Pfizer documents that I, I was very surprised to see there at first, like MS and um, Parkinson's and uh, dementia and um, you know all the things that happen when human neurological systems are degraded. So now, closing out back to the, uh, the, the kind of change in personality, this really made a lot of mysteries make sense. You know, I talked about the missing energy field, which you can, you know, you don't have to believe in. Um, you know, it's not something that, that Western science has confirmed, though many body workers are talking about how they can't feel their, their patients anymore if they're vaccinated. You know, they can't feel the, the energy field of their, their patients. Um, the, the notion of a human energy field that affects health is absolutely standard, of course, in you know Ayurvedic medicine and Tibetan medicine and Chinese medicine. Um, but leaving that aside, what what these lipid nanoparticles entering the brain and degrading the neural, the, you know, the nervous system really do go to is uh, something that you can measure, um, and, but that 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 I was seeing all around me, which was people, colleagues of mine after they got injected would be um, much more uh, dualistic in their thinking, much more rigid. Um, and if you know the structure of the brain, that can that could make sense. You know, it could be that, you know, the prefrontal cortex is affected, or it could be that um, there's a kind of a, a, almost a rigidifying or a, a, a slowing, and I'm not a, you know, I'm not a physician, so I'm kind of groping here, but, um, if if people's thinking is more rigid and there's damage to the, the 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 neural structures, you know, that seems like something worth asking more questions about. But I also knew that people were much angrier. 
um, and many people online have been confirming this and describing their own experiences of it, um, less ability to modulate emotions, um, kind of more primal, uh, you know, reaction to provocation. Um, and, and people have also been saying, and I've witnessed this, that the changes are um, affective, that people that have always been affectionate, warm, loving, have become cold, distant. Many people talk about adult children uh, or bigger children, you know, cutting, cutting things off, like saying things like, well, we're not aligned politically, so I'm not going to visit you anymore, you know, hmm. um, you know, and, and just what we've seen from the vaccinated to the unvaccinated, the kind of bizarre willingness, which I, I could only interpret in the light of like, you know, mass hypnosis, which other people mm -hmm. like uh, Dr. Desmet, um, Matthias Desmet have talked about, or or political inflammation, you know, mm -hmm. as you see in a kind of group, uh, group psychosis, you know, as in, forgive me, but Germany in the 30s. But, you know, in other places where there have been kind of in-groups and out-groups, you know, Jim Crow laws, but, but this could kind of also help explain the kind of willingness of vaccinated to cut off the unvaccinated, to, you know, deny them groceries, deny them medical care. Um, people are seeing at an atomized level or an individual level, this kind of um, closing down of compassion. And I don't have the answers. And I, I thought that uh, Dr. Bhakti's um, discussion you know, was very profound and important. And I'm very interested to hear what Dr. Bregan is going to say. And I know there are many, you know, I'm focused on the lipid nanoparticles in the brain and the heart, but, you know, other people are more focused on the spike protein, which they're finding, as you say. But I think these are questions that absolutely have to be asked because this is the last thing I'll say, you know, my argument throughout is that this has been a war on the human and what makes us human. And if a if an injection can close down people's compassion or their higher powers of nuanced critical thinking, it could close down, you know, it could go close down their connection to, to a sense of, you know, spirituality. It could close down their sense of uh, responsibility to the next generation. We don't know. Like, this is a massive experiment on the human brain and the human heart. Um, and I guess I'll end with that. Yeah, thank you, Naomi. Um, Professor Bhakti found this extremely found this to be extremely scary. Uh, at the end of his presentation, the short version of which we've all seen, um, the the one that he gave in Vienna, but there's a longer version that he gave in Athens. At the end of his presentation, he directly points to the fact that some of the small capillaries. And I guess it, it starts in the frontal lobe of the brain. Uh, some of the small capillaries don't get enough oxygen anymore. And he says that that is what seems to be causing these perceived uh, personality changes. Now, Well, that, that would explain the, the lack of um, impulse control and the, the more primitive thinking. Mm -hmm. Because it's the prefrontal cortex that, that is, the higher, is where higher, higher thought takes place. What do uh, you so think? Yeah, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. It is definitely it is definitely scary because you know that some people have been talking about uh, what's the word? There's I think it's even on the on the WHO's website um, about people who are not people anymore. A very you know like from a horror movie, but it, now it seems that there is a scientific foundation for this vision, which is a horrific vision. Um, I was going to ask uh, Peter um, because I got a um, I got a short abstract. I think it was uh, your wife Ginger sent it to me, and it includes a piece on lobotomy. And you wrote it uh, many many years ago. And you are one of the most famous, if not the most famous, um, psychiatrists in the United States. Uh, you stopped experiments on uh, the homeless, on uh, people, on the destitute people who can't defend themselves. You more or less stopped lobotomy. Um, what, what do you think as a psychiatrist? Does what, what Naomi has seen and what she just explained and what uh, Professor Bhakti uh, looks into and comes up with um, 
with a scientific conclusion, medical conclusion, does it make sense to, to you or is this totally out of the question? Oh, it makes a great deal of sense. Um, I'd like to actually um, look at a bit of the overview uh, before getting into the clinical details. Naomi's done a very good job of describing some of the clinical phenomena. Um, but if you look at what are the globalists are trying to do, with their plans, with their various efforts. And the, the, it's definitely a matter of, of their being aware mm -hmm. <clears throat> because uh, there's a whole long uh, history of animal experimentation showing that, in fact, the uh, lipid nanoparticle uh, packaging, the mRNA, was a very harmful to animals and in particular killed them. And in 2020, just as uh, the uh, infamous rush through the FDA around the world, the equivalents of the FDA were taking place, 2020, a, a Fauci funded study out of American universities declared <clears throat> that the mRNA uh, um, platform which is basically the lipid uh, nanoparticles, was too dangerous to experiment on in humans. So right, at, uh, and all, the, oh, by, all this is in our book, <clears throat> Ginger Bregan and Peter, Peter and Ginger Bregan, which is COVID-19 and the um, global predators, COVID-19 and the global predators, we are the prey. And uh, you can get it on the usual places around the world, um, starting with Amazon. And um, <clears throat> it's both an e-book and a read book and uh, the the paperback, giant paperback with over a thousand, well over a thousand citations, um, documents that they knew what they were doing. And this was very hard for me because, you know, I've been in court a lot. You know, I've testified over a hundred times in court. And as you you know, when you do that, you get straight and narrow. You stick to facts. <laughs> you never give them any little inroad into saying you're a conspiracy theorist. And um, and so, if anything, um, as Naomi was suggesting, as a physician and a scientist, I've gotten narrowed. So I was not expecting to find what I'm about to say, which is that the clearly what. Uh, the damage being done, probably the most important damage being done, the two things are the deaths and the uh, infertility. Now, that is a program. Nearly all the globalists, whether it's uh, Bill Gates or whether it's uh, even Fauci has talked this way in so-called scientific articles or Klaus Schwab or Xi Jinping from China, Mm -hmm. They all want to control population. It is one of their dominant ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, Bill Gates uh, happily has a whole section on his uh, website of the Gates Foundation about population control. We, it's not something we have to conjure up from his little smiles that he yeah. gives when he thinks about having fewer human beings. Um, and... Uh, in creating infertility is one of the ways in which uh, the World Health Organization, and I think also with Gates involved with them in Africa, uh, has used vaccines to deliver um, infertility to people. Uh, used the flu vaccine for, for that, to deliver substances that would cause infertility. So they wanted to cause infertility. It's almost a unanimous view among global predators. We have too many human beings, too many to control, too many useless eaters, too many problem people. And um, that, that that's a very, very important part. So we have infertility and we have uh, uh, actually culling. But there's another aspect of brain damage now when you get into the brain, and that is uh, conformity and docility. Mm -hmm. So when they finally got around to doing detailed studies of lobotomy, 
um, one of the things that, one of the ways that they put it, and these were the people who favored lobotomy, they said the person in a controlled, confined situation does reasonably well. That is, they're manageable, they don't get out of control, they can be led about, they will line up and get their dinners. They do not get very, uh, they'll get irritable, but they don't have the energy to do a criminal act or the energy or planning to really get into serious trouble. Walter Freeman bragged about that. He said, you know, these stories of bank robbers by lobotomized people, why they don't have the ability to plan or the energy or the concern. Very proudly about what they're doing to human beings. Now, what is better for totalitarian mass than producing docility, mm -hmm. lack of being able to plan anything, that uh, like a rebellion. So to the extent that they anticipated a brain damage, a generalized brain damage reaction, docility is, uh, it's, that's so such a big part of it. Um, one of the reasons perhaps that I'm not exactly like most scientists and physicians is that I got introduced to this whole area as a college freshman at Harvard. For four years, without any training, I had the keys to the hospital and led the program. <clears throat> and one of the things I noticed immediately is I got to see a lot of lobotomized patients. It was 1954 to 58 that I was in college. And I got to see shock treatment and insulin coma treatment because I would just walk in and I was recognizable. People thought I'd been given the keys. I just didn't return them one night and nobody complained. And what I noticed was very, very apparent to me as a college by now, maybe a sophomore when I'm really, really active. And that is that when the person would be led in, say, to the insulin coma, which is simply giving you an injection of insulin sufficient to deprive your brain of sh enough sugar to kill you, mm -hmm. that one of the basic things that, that I could see was that people came in as human beings. Mm -hmm. They were angry, most of them, upset. They didn't want to be in this place. They uh, would certainly be irritable. They might they'd be difficult to handle. And then they'd get knocked out by the insulin. They'd go into seizures they were literally dying. And then they'd be given sugar, water, or orange juice with extra sugar, and they'd come out of it. And now they were not just docile. They were grateful for having their lives saved. Again, you have a choice of agreeing or disagreeing with anything or everything that someone says. But understand something. These are all highly credible people. These people have had impeccable and completely free careers of controversy, and yet they put their career, their livelihood, their reputations on the line to bring you information, not just their opinion, but quality information. What we do with it is up to us. They are the current canary in the coal mine. I'm Gary Knoll. Thank you all for watching and listening, and have a nice day.